If you're looking for a quality Kickstarter marketing specialist, I recommend the folks over at Next Level Web. They charge flat fees with an easy monthly agreement and they get serious results. Their goal is to get you funded on day one and their rate of success for that is above 90%, regardless if you're a veteran or a first-time creator. As a client myself, I can personally attest to their quality as they have helped me raise tens of thousands of dollars for my own projects. So if your email list looks pitiful, but your game is awesome, head on over to nextlevelweb.com slash kickstarter and take your marketing to the next level. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. Well, what's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about building a company. What does it look like to create a company that makes a million plus dollars, that has multiple games come out, that is just a wild ride that's unexpected? I'm really excited for these guys to share their story with you. I think there's a lot to be learned from their, instor- their story of building a multi-million dollar board game publishing company. We're talking to Kevin Carroll and Steve Mark from Karma Games. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks, Gabe. Happy to be here. Thanks, Gabe. Hi. Yeah, really excited to have you guys on. I, I saw an interview that y'all did a while back, and you were just telling your story and talking about how you got into the game business a little bit unintentionally, and, and things just kind of took took hold, caught fire, and then all of a sudden you were selling lots and lots of games, and now you've had multiple games come out that you uh, you guys are publishing at Karma Games. And so I, I think, yeah, y'all's story is a very interesting one, and one that uh, I think listeners are going to be able to learn a lot from and so, yeah, just excited to talk about how you guys got into the gaming industry and how you've built this company and kind of where you go from here. But before we get into the, the deeper details of your company, who are you? How'd you get into game design? All that kind of thing. And uh, Kevin, why don't you go first? Sure. Um, so for me, I've always, like most of your listeners and the folks you've interviewed, Gabe, they've their whole life they've enjoyed games. They enjoyed playing games. And I, as I look back on it, I think I've always enjoyed creating games more than actually playing them. I mean, my family, I'm one of seven. We'd sit down and we'd play Life. We'd play Monopoly. We'd do all that. But at the same time, I could be outside with literally sticks and stones and come up with a half a dozen game ideas. So it's always been in my blood. I've loved loved it. And then um, over the years, I've tried to come up with game ideas. And then about 10 or 12 years ago, I had a concept, this is well before the games we'll talk about with Steve and I, but I had an idea for a, a game. It was a it was a word game. And I was talking to a friend of mine and she said, oh, you need to talk to my friend, Mary Elroy, who is a game agent and she lives in the town next to you. And I said, well, what the heck is a game agent? And she said, well, she takes guys like you, guys, gals like you that have game ideas. And if you're not going to manufacture it, she'll introduce you to game companies and try to license your idea to the game company. And I said, well, that sounds good. So I met with this woman, Mary Elroy, and and her company, by the way, is, and your listeners may find this interesting, it's GameBird Toys, GameBirdToys.com. So I meet with Mary, she and I click, and uh, I showed her the idea that I had, and that one didn't quite fit for her, but we brainstormed together, uh, she and I, along with my daughter, and we came up with a game that was called Pickles to Penguins. And Mary said, well, I think this, this has some potential. And Mary started to shop it around to various game companies. And I remember where I was exactly in my car when she called me and she said, uh, guess what? I, uh, a game company is licensing, your, licensing our game called Pickles to Penguins and you're now in the game business. So I was real excited about that. And I kind of fell into it by, through the avenue of licensing it. And I was, uh, I was sky high from that. So that, that was how I got into it. Yeah, very cool. Real quick before we get to Steve, um, tell me a little bit more about an agent. Like, is that really something for more mass market or that also work for the hobby side as well? You know, I I think they can work in a number of different ways. For for example, um, they may take us to, as you'll see from our games, we're in specialty. You may have a game that's perfect for hobby, for perfect for specialty. And certainly game agents would, if it's the right game, game agents would be interested in, in talking to you about it. So it's not just for mass. It's uh, when you have an idea and you think 
manufacturing is beyond your capabilities, which I certainly understand because that's a, a big thing to, to manage, uh, reach out, do an internet search, look for game agents, find somebody that you click with and start the conversation and they'll, and you'll work it through with them to see if you're the right fit for them and they're the right fit for you. Yeah, and then they just get a percentage once the game sells to a company? Yeah, they, I'll give you a rough idea and everything can could vary, but my general experience was that when you license a game, you're going to get, and I say you, you and the game agent might get something around 5% of the wholesale. So let's say there's a game that retails for $20 and wholesales for $10. Well, 5% of that $10 would be 50 cents per game. And then you would there would be some sort of split. Sometimes it's half and half. Sometimes it's two-third, one-third. So it all varies. Uh, but that gives gives you a rough idea how that works. So you're when you license, unless you have some phenomenal blockbuster, uh, you're not going to make tons and tons of cash. But guess what? You're in the business. You're you're rubbing elbows with people in the business. You're having fun in the business, and it's a great way to to enter the business for those that feel again that manufacturing is could be beyond them. Yeah, absolutely. I think finding an agent is a little bit. Um, it's one of those things a lot of people don't know about. They don't know that that is even an option. And uh, you know, I don't know honestly. I don't even know any agents personally. It might be something. That would be good to have on the podcast. Someone that would be good to have on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. For just catch out about that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well cool. Well, Steve, tell me about uh, your origin story. How'd you get into game design? Um, my game design, I, I, I guess I technically got in the game business uh, the first time I held an axe in my hand. Um, I was uh, <laughs> at a, uh, a, a Christmas farm, a tr- Christmas tree farm uh, on the holiday season, chopping down a Christmas tree uh, with my kids and my wife. And I uh, ran into Kevin. We used to work at the same advertising agency, and we hadn't seen each other for about five or ten years. Um, Kev, were you fired, or were you? Was it a voluntary? Steve, we'll talk about that <laughs> out, offline. Okay. 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 Um, and so we ran into each other, and so we said, "Hey, what have you been up to?" And uh, Kev said, "Well, I'm in kind of in the game business, and kind of coming up with game ideas. And uh, I've I've always have." Um, one of my uh, super superpowers is coming up with bad ideas. So I get lots of ideas all the time. And I said, well, I got some ideas. We should, we should put our heads together and come up with something. And um, thinking it would go nowhere, but Kevin took me up on that. And I think a couple months later, he, uh, we met and uh, uh, he had done some research um, and uh, found out some you know, game companies were looking for dice games. And so he handed me a bag of dice and said, let's come up with a dice game. Uh, I guess that's that's how it came up or entered the game business. Gotcha. And then whose idea was Tinsy at first? Um, well, like I said, Kev, Kev handed over a whole bag of dice. And so I was just going through and I'm kind of a simple person. So I kind of came up with a, a kind of a game that had four dice with it. And I was playing it with my daughter at the time. She was six years old and we were playing and and just kept adding dice and five dice and six dice and finally stopped at seven or I mean 10. It was kind of pretty, uh, a, uh, a, a simple round number. And I figured, oh, let me see how fast I can get all, all 10 dice on one number. And when I did that, I said, Oh wow, that was kind of fun. And, um, did it again and again. And it was like, wow, that, 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 but that had to have been done before kind of Google it around. No, nothing. So the, the next week, uh, came over to uh, Kevin's house and I said, Kevin, I think, I think I got something here. And uh, and I explained the rules to him, and in his infinite wisdom, he said, uh, "What was that exactly?" You said, Kevin? "Well, I think I probably well. L- let me tell you what the rules are, and then I'll tell you what my response is." So Steve said, "All right, so I got this game idea. Everybody gets ten dice, and you say on your mark, get set, go. Everybody rolls their dice as fast as possible, and whoever can collect." 10 of the same number, like let's say we're all going for 10 sixes, whoever can collect 10 of the same numbers first yells Tenzi and wins. And I'm looking at him like, who are you to waste my time on (laughs) such a ridiculous, simple (laughs) idea? And he goes, no, 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 give it a chance. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm half teasing about it, but it, but, but it wasn't, it didn't fit what my model and I think 99.9% of the population's model of a game is a game is something you sit down, you read rules and you spend time with it. Nothing wrong with those games at all. They're great. But this was something very different. I mean, it's Tenzi is on the level of 
tic-tac-toe or, or Jenga or checkers. It is super, super simple. So that was the, the beginning of the, of the idea right there. Yeah. It's one of those moments where you, you had this idea and then you try it out and it works and you step back and you go, it can't be that easy, right? Like it can't right. just be that simple. And you almost want to try to break it and try to figure out why it can't be that simple. And I'm reminded of the game Code Names from yep. the designer of Vlada Chavadl. Because if I remember correctly, I was listening to or reading an interview that he did about code names, and he said he came up with the idea in like 10 minutes. Like it was like an afternoon kind of thing. And then he spent months and months and months trying to figure out why it was a bad idea, why this is not going to work, why this is, it couldn't be that easy, right? And he was talking to other people and having playtesters, and it's like, it can't be that, like, no one's done this. Like, no one has figured this out. And I, I just had this random idea one day, and it's, it's a good game. And there's no way. So he tried and tried to break it, and he couldn't. And eventually he's like, all right, let me pitch it to publishers. And then, of course, it's gone on to sell millions and millions of copies. It's had a Disney retheme. It's been rethemed into like Harry Potter. Like, there's a ton of different. Uh, types of code names at this point. And it's like, well, I guess sometimes it just is that simple. And and maybe that's some good advice. So like, you know, figure out an idea that is simple. Don't don't feel like you have to overcomplicate it, overthink it, because maybe that's actually what draws more people in. Now, real quick, what year was this that you guys were coming up with Tinsy? Uh, that was 2010. Okay. Wow. 2010 was a heck of a year. I think that was the year of Pandemic and Dominion and like some of the amazing games came out in 2010. So that's really cool. What were you going to say, Steve? I was going to say, well, uh, that was, you know, summer of 2010 is when we just kind of had the initial idea. And then we were still potentially, we were kind of figuring out, oh, well, do we want to try to license it? Or, you know, Kevin and I discussed this, it has so few moving parts, both literally and figuratively, that we said, hey, this is almost something we could kind of do ourselves. And knowing nothing about what that meant and what those next steps were, but we said, hey, why don't we just try to give this a shot? So we, the next stage then was prototypes and going and getting, you know, bulk Googling, bulk dice, getting bulk dice, different colors, uh, getting a container. And from our advertising experience, we knew, you know, just enough to, to be dangerous as far as getting a container, getting a labeling, naming it, all, all that stuff. Um, so for the next four or five weeks, six weeks, it was um, prototyping time, and so we got six prototypes with nice color dice, red, blue, yellow, green, kind of the basics, and got this little label on it, you know, printed out at a local Sir Speedy, tape it on there, all that good stuff, and, and, and we were ready to go. And so we figured, all right, well, let's start knocking on doors. We got our six prototypes, knowing not, not what would happen uh, when we started knocking, so... Kev and what happened yeah. when, when we did. You, you want me to share that, Gabe? What happened when we started to try to sell in? Yeah, but real quick before you get into that, yeah. it's just so interesting to think about how nowadays, if I have a question about game design, about publishing, about manufacturing, about shipping, fulfillment, any of those things, I can find it in about four and a half seconds. Like it is so easy now right. to find. There's almost too much information. There's so many podcasts, there's so many websites, there's so many Facebook groups and Board Game Geek and all that kind of stuff. It's it's just at my fingertips. I can't imagine being in 2010 and going, all right, well now what do we do? And then just having to go figure it out. And I just I love that you guys just went out and figured it out. Like you you didn't sit at home and going, oh well, I guess that you know we got a cool idea. I guess we'll just play it with my kids and my dog. But you actually took the the risk and you started trying to figure out all right where do we go from here what do we do next and then that led you into uh game stores right am i remembering that right and right. Then take over from yep. there actually yeah. Ke Ke kev yeah, let me ahead, sorry Steve. let me just uh just jump onto what sure. gabe said actually it's funny because even in 2010 there were there were you know um game game websites or game manufacturing websites and 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 discussion boards and i remember looking around that and the overwhelming advice was do not under, don't do it underscore <laughs> do not do it yourself you will have you will have 50,000 games in your basement and you will hate every minute of it so that was our kind of what we knew going in and then we knocked on the first door kevin yeah and the other thing i'll add and then i'll tell you about how we started to sell them into stores but i i look back on it and i think that not knowing the game business helped us in many ways because we weren't locked into you know, the template of, of what you do when you're in the game business. So I think we broke some rules without knowing that we were breaking rules because we didn't know the rules. So that worked in our favor, kind of our, our ignorance, if you will. 
So, oh man, ignorance is such a powerful thing. It is sometimes. Yep. You know, sometimes it, it actually you know totally ruins you, and you you didn't know about one thing, and it like bankrupts your company. That definitely happens. But sometimes it's really nice not to know because then you see things from a different angle with new eyes, and I feel like that's what you did. So yeah, keep going. Yeah, exactly. It gives you objectivity. Um, so we had uh, Steve had maybe a dozen prototypes or so, and I remember the day it was October thirtieth, two thousand and ten. And, you know, here, here's the, here's the, you know, the, the rubber hits the road. We start knocking on doors of local shops, you know, toy stores, specialty toy stores, that type of thing. So no, no mass. And we went into the first store and I live in, Steve and I both, he lives in Greenwich, Connecticut. I live in Westport and we started knocking on doors in Westport. And the first retailer had no interest whatsoever in hearing about our game. And then we go to another store and the second retailer said, well, you know, come back. You know, the, the owner's going to be back. You can pitch it to them and see if they're interested. So that was the second one. And then I don't know how the heck it happened, but we mo- met the most perfect woman on that day because at 10 o'clock in the morning, we walk into a store in Fairfield, Connecticut. It was a hobby town store. And the owner was just opening up, and her name is Celeste. And, and our dear friend Celeste, which we, who we didn't know at the time, uh, we said, hi, we're local game inventors and we have some prototypes here. And we were wondering, uh, would you might be interested in in uh, possibly selling these? You know, we're, we're a little sheepish. And she said, and this was the whole key to our success, not only of our Tenzi game, but our others. She very matter of factly said, hey, guys, if you can tell me how to play your game in less than 30 seconds, I might be interested. Now, Steve and I look at each other and say, my gosh, has there ever been a better game that you can explain in less than 30 seconds? So we simply say, everybody gets 10 dice, roll them as fast as possible, and whoever can collect 10 of the same number before anybody else yells Denzi, and they win. And she said, I love it. Give me your prototypes. So we handed over the prototypes, and then Steve and I were hanging out in the store just shopping around, looking at other packaging ideas, because of what we had, were, you know, we were thinking about evolving the packaging out of the prototype stage. And we're shopping around, and probably five or ten minutes later, Celeste yells over, "Hey guys, I got your first, I got your first sales!" And by gosh, if the first customer who walked in, she didn't sell two of our games to. So we are now on cloud nine because you know we've walked into the store. She's been willing to take the prototypes. She's already sold two, and and that was our our intro. And then that holiday season, she went on to sell three hundred of our games in her two stores. Now, I don't, I don't know what 300 means. I mean, I was happy about it, but I don't know. Is that a good number or a bad number? And she said, oh, no, no, you need to understand that this is by far the best-selling new game that I have ever had. And I said, well, well, how, like, how many Yahtzees do you sell for, for a point of reference? Because, again, I have no idea. And she looked it up on the computer, and she said, 52. And I said, oh, a month? And she goes, no, in a year. So we're now thinking, well, if you can sell 52 Yahtzees, a successful game, in a, in a year, and we're selling 300 in a matter of the holiday season, I think we're doing pretty darn good. So that uh, that first year, that first holiday season, we were in the two, her two stores, and that's really, that gave us a very shot in the arm to say, I think we may have something here. Yeah, that's excellent. And so then what, right? So you obviously are thinking, okay, we have something here. I don't know if it's going to sell a zillion copies, but it's obviously something people are enjoying because they're buying it, and they're probably telling other people about it, and they're buying it, and like you've obviously got a person there in a store who's helping you make sales. And so then what? Like, tell me the conversation. Steve, tell me the conversation you guys were having. Like, okay, now what? Like, did you have a plan? Were you just kind of making it up as you went? What were you doing? Uh, certainly no plan. That, But what we kind of after we regrouped after the holidays in January and said, okay, if that was the proof of concept stage, I think we proved it. Uh, now, you know, since we were buying everything basically retail, we were buying our prototype containers at the container store. And so each prototype was costing us maybe 10 to $12 to make. And we were selling it to Celeste for uh, $7. So we were losing five bucks every time she sold something. So it was good and bad. Uh, but it was definitely proof of concept stage. So then it was, all right, how do we then reduce, as Kevin was saying, get smarter packaging, more cost efficient, get the you know the price of the dice down and 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 all that stuff um again, again one of the great things we learned um samples 
uh, we contacted a plastic tube company in New Jersey first. And we said, hey, we're you know, a game company. They didn't know how big or small we were, that we were losing $5 each time. Um, we're looking for packaging solutions. And if we could send some samples. So they sent us some samples and they worked out perfectly. And so then we ordered uh, a thousand uh, tubes from them. Um, and more bulk dice. And so then we were packing to uh, packing dice in much better containers and much cost efficient. Um, so the f- we had basically a thousand games that we made in the next few months. And we went from two stores then to uh, maybe 50 stores. And the way we did that was kind of interesting because, again, if the baseline is we knew nothing, uh, one day we got a call and... Uh, uh, the gentleman introduced himself and he said, hey, I'm a sales rep and I'd like to talk to you about your game Tenzi. And so we said, well, what's a sales rep? And he's, <laughs> and he, he explained, well, uh, Celeste uh, told me about your game Tenzi, a sales rep. We go into different stores and sell your game. And so you don't have to make every sale and sales call. And we said, oh, that's fantastic. Um, so we met with them. They became our sales rep in New England. And so uh, we went from two stores to about 50 or 60 stores uh, over the next six months or so. So that's how we went from initial stage to, okay, now up and running and see if we can, if we can replicate those sales uh, in, a, in a larger area. Okay. Now with the sales rep, is that a, a freelancer, just a person that's on, on the lookout for different ideas and different games, and then maybe they get a percentage? Like, tell me how that works exactly. Exactly. Yeah. They, they have their independent reps, so we're not paying them. We pay them a percentage of the sale, um, which is each month when we pay our commission checks, I hope those commission checks to our reps from that day and all the way till, till today are as, as high as they can be. Because if they're making X percent, we're making, uh, we're, we're, we're doing well as, uh, also. So, uh, Okay. And then they're incentivized as well to go out and make as many sales as possible because they're going to make more money. Absolutely. 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 And because the game is so simple, it helps them as they are trying to explain to new retailers the simplicity of the game. If they're pulling a game out of their bag that's complicated and has pages and pages and pages of rules, it's it's more difficult for them to convey uh, how fun the game is, how simple the game is. Uh, how to play versus you take 10 dice first one to roll all 10 dice on the same number wins gotcha okay so now you guys are getting into more and more stores it, tell me the conversation now are you thinking okay how do we scale this up are you thinking at this point how do we maybe find a manufacturer that can do this in in much bigger numbers how do we get in you know out of this regional kind of area and maybe go countrywide north america wide what are what are the conversations going on at that point kevin so we're feeling really good. That's the first holiday season. We were in two stores, did great. Now we're moving into the next year, as Steve said, 50 stores. We have the rep in New England. Those stores are doing great with it. So all indications are, you know, what's the next step? What's the next step? So then we said, well, let's check out this thing called Toy Fair. And probably a lot of your listeners know about Toy Fair, but Toy Fair is in Manhattan and it's a huge trade show in February. Uh, although we haven't had it the last couple of years. Um, so we say, let's get a booth. And we rent a booth for, I don't know what the figure was, maybe four or $5,000, Steve, for a, <laughs> for a 10 by 10 booth. And uh, we, we go down there, we have our prototypes, and we just started pitching. So that at Toy Fair, that's where you're going to get a lot of retailers walking through, seeing what's, you know, meeting old uh, vendors, but also meeting new vendors and finding out what new products are out there. So there we were at Toy Fair, and that can be a lonely place because it, it, here's the moment: Steve and I are standing in our booth, and people would walk by, and we would say, uh, "Would you like to try our new game?" And they would walk by and smile and say, "No, thanks, I'm good." And then again, we'd say, "Oh, to somebody else, would you like to try our game?" Uh, no, thanks. I'm good. So then Steve and I said, okay, we're doing something wrong here. And we changed our pitch from a question to a statement. And that statement was, we would look at cus- you know, potential customers and we'd say, this is the fastest game you will ever play. And they would kind of saunter over and say, okay, what is it? And we'd explain it in a matter of seconds. They would play it in a matter of seconds. And then they were hooked. And the interesting psychological thing is 
once somebody's at your booth, it makes it a lot safer for others to come to your booth. So somebody's at our booth laughing, playing the game, another retailer comes and another retailer comes. And now we have three or four retailers at our booth and they're all laughing and having a good time. And then for about three and a half days after that, it was busy, busy, busy. And not only did we have lots of orders, we also had reps from around the country come to our booth and find out about the game and express their desire to, to rep us in various parts around the country. Yeah. Am I remembering right that there was like a lady as well that would come and play the game and she would just yell out Tinsy across the hall and like kind of you know bring more people to the table? Steve, why don't you share our story about our good friend Gwen? Yes, that is the um, literal definition of word of mouth uh, advertising. <laughs> um, uh, one of the retailers who kind of discovered us there at Toy Fair that first year was Gwen from, she has Imagine That Toys uh, in Kansas, in Wichita, Kansas. And so she would love the game. She loved the game. And so she would play and she was a larger than life character and still is. And we love her and we always talk with her, uh, run things past her. But she would play and when she would win, she and even when she didn't win, when she would finish playing Tenzi, <laughs> she would scream Tenzi as loud as she could. And her voice carried across every square inch of uh, Jacob Jabbitt Center. And so people would just, as Kevin would say, once you have a crowd, you have more of a crowd. And when you have more of a crowd, then you have a bigger crowd. And when you have a bigger crowd, you have a huge crowd. And people were coming from everywhere to, one, to see what this lady was screaming about and then to play the game themselves. But they couldn't get in because it was so packed. And it was just, it was crazy. And so we thanked her then. We thank her today. And we thank her every every time we see her at every trade show. Yeah. And it was such a commotion that, as Kevin was saying, that these different reps then, because reps are, you know, t the, uh, trade shows are great. It's this incredible ecosystem that the retailers are there looking for games. The uh, manufacturers are trying to sell the games. The reps are trying to discover new games for them to rep. And so one of the reps came, came to us and he said, what are you doing to create this buzz? He, he couldn't believe that it was this natural evolving thing with this lady screaming and people in the crowds and crowds and stuff happening we said no it's it's nothing it's just the game and he goes no it can't be just the game what are you guys doing and uh and he, we signed him up or he signed us up one of the, one of the two happened and uh, he's one of our fantastic reps to this day i'll just add something here one of the things we did consciously do is that when the retailers were interested in buying it they said yeah i'll, I'll try your starter kit we said, okay, do you want to win a little extra money off the price? And they, they, of course, said, sure. How do I do that? We said, okay, we're going to now time you to see you how fast you can roll a Tenzi. And if you can roll it in less than 30 seconds, you'll get this much off. Less than 20, even more. Less than 15 seconds, you'll get even more off. So then what we did was sort of turned our booth into just a booth into an arcade because now not only were the retailers playing the game, they were now playing it for, for a discount, and that brought in more action and energy. And now, even years later, they're saying, okay, can I roll for my discount? Can I roll for my discount? So for those that are taking their game into a trade show scenario, think about how you're going to add energy and fun and engagement to the potential customers that you have, because that really makes a difference. Yeah, and I love the fact that you're you, you have to play the game itself in order to get that discount. Like exactly. I've gone to these conventions and things, and people have like a, a wheel you can spin. If you get on certain uh, parts of the wheel, you get five bucks off, five percent, whatever it is, and that's fine. Right. But it's so disconnected with you guys. They're playing the game. They're they're having to learn how to play it. They're playing it. They're having fun with it. They're probably going to tell more people about it because they've experienced it. It's just so brilliant. If you do have a simple game like this to do it in yes. this way. Yeah. And, and I think another thing to talk about is as far as marketing is finding that critical mass and just getting there any way you can. And I love the kind of guerrilla style marketing that you guys did to get people to your booth. You were nobody. No one knew who you were. They didn't never, they'd never heard of this made up word Tinsy before, right. but all of a sudden you're able to get a lot of people there. And it's kind of like if you, if you drive into a, a new town, like you've never been in this city before and you're hungry and you're looking around like for a restaurant and you've got a couple of restaurants and one of them has one car outside and the other, the other restaurant has 20 cars outside. It's like, Hmm, I wonder which one's better. And you were just going to automatically assume that the restaurant with 20 cars has better food, better prices, whatever it is, because that's where everybody is already at. And so if you can find a way to get those 20 cars outside your restaurant 
you're more than likely going to be able to get 50 cars and 100 cars. And it's just going to keep growing exponentially. And that's something people just need to understand with marketing. It's like, it might start small, but if you can just figure out how to almost have that compound interest of people coming and coming back and telling people about it and over and over again, eventually you you become the show in town. And so it's really cool that you guys were able to do that. Do you have any other like marketing tips in general, like either conventions or, or other stuff? Well, let me just play off what you just mentioned, Gabe. The, the thought I have on that is, and we've probably heard it over the years in lots of different ways, but you are your brand. Steve and I are our brand. So when we're in that booth, we are joking with each other. We're giving each other a hard time. We're teasing the customers. So a lot of times I think people feel like the game or the product is is it. That's the whole thing. It's not. It, it is the core thing, but you and your energy and how you interact with your customers is so much of it. And in fact, even to this day, you know, we have customers that we have relationships with now. They call, they make orders. We, we know about their history. Um, they know our history. And in fact, when, when we make a mistake, we sort of have a, a way at it, which is that if we make a mistake, let's say we send out the wrong order or one thing or the other, we try to make it up to our customers in such a way that they're going to feel like, oh, I hope these guys make a mistake again because I'm really happy. They, you know, they, <laughs> they went above and beyond. So all that stuff and the relationship building is is you know marketing 101 in terms of how to how to do guerrilla marketing yeah i'll jump i'll jump in here you know and just say that i think also marketing can sometimes get too polished a word and people think that it's it's a it's an ad it's a it's a coupon it's you know it's when we were at the trade show the first year you know even when people would walk you know when people certainly would they would buy a, uh, a set from us or you know a, a starter kit we would give them a sample of tenzi to take hey to take it out play it at the hotel or tonight and, and they go oh thank oh you're gonna give this to me and even people who would walk past and they say no i'm not interested would hand them a game and that you're you're gonna give me this and yeah i said take it take it and on you know without fail if we gave them a game, they would be there the next day at the booth the next morning saying, we played it at the hotel room. It was so great. We love this. We're going to. And so over the course of two, three, four days, we gave out, you know, 100 games, 200 games. And at $2 per game, you know, that's $200 worth of a product. But the ROI on that, you know, it was incredible. It was just unbelievable. So it's quote unquote marketing but it's just sampling and it's just giving people a taste of what it is. And so you talked earlier, uh, Gabe, about ignorance and having an ignorance of not knowing what we were doing. Uh, that was pointed out to us by a gentleman, uh, another vendor <laughs> yes, across yes. The, a manufacturer across the way, kind of, he had had this knock hockey board games and all this stuff and big setup. And so he, he watched us handing out samples for what for him seemed way too long. And so he kind of disgustedly got up and ambled over to us and he said, what the hell are you guys doing? And so with our Tenzi energy, we said, we're sampling our games, giving our games out. He said, you guys don't know what the F you're doing. And we said, well, that's, that's definitely, we don't know that. He goes, you never give these folks anything. And so after saying his piece, he just went back to his, uh, his quiet booth and just kind of remained there, there the whole rest of the day while we continue to, to sample and market and have uh, crowds around our booth. So. Is that company still in business? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I'm just curious about that. Hey, 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 Gabe, I'll throw in also playing off what Steve just said. They, uh, we would even sample to our fellow vendors that were in the area. So somebody has a booth, we're going to give our Tenzi games to them. And, you know, some people could look at them as competition or you could look at them as potential partners. And sure enough, they would be sending people to our booth because they would be playing it and say, oh, you have to see the Tenzi guys. So we did that. And then I'll add a, another one because you asked what other tools and techniques did we use to guerrilla market our, our products. Uh, we, in the first sale that when somebody gets the Tenzi starter kit, it came with nine games and it came with a rack. So the games would sit on this rack. They would hang from this rack. And on the top of the rack, there was a little header card that would say like the world's fastest game, Tenzi or whatever. And we would also give a free demo game so that when the stores bought it and, and we asked them when it comes in, when your starter kit comes in, we suggest that you put it out close to checkout, put this, you know, this rack out there with the, with the header card, put the demo game next to it. And then when people come, just play the game with them. 
And by gosh, that's what they did. And by partnering with all these specialty toy retailers, they put us on the map because without them, it would just be dice. If, if we went mass market, which we did not, if, if we, it would just be this thing called Tenzi and it looks like it's just a bunch of dice. But what the store owners and their staff brought to the game by having a demo, having, doing the demo and having the rack, rack out there and playing with customers, that merchandising was absolutely critical. Yeah. And honestly, several years ago, this is how I first, or where I first saw Tinsy was on one of those racks at a game store. And I remember seeing the tubes and I remember seeing like the really colorful, really interesting uh, dice of all of these different colors. I'd never seen dice in those colors before. I think you guys are making some really cool choices as far as like how to stand out and how to draw people's attention with your, your packaging. I saw one of those racks and it was right up there close to the register. And I remember thinking, oh, oh that's, that's really cool. And so that's so smart. And also going back to what you guys were, were doing with the samples and, and that kind of thing, I think there's some really good underlying wisdom here about starting small, starting simple. Mm -hmm. Because if you had a game that cost $15 to manufacture and now your, your price is going way up. Like if you're going to give out a bunch of those free copies, like times 15, that gets pretty expensive. But when it's times two, it's a little bit easier to do. And so, you know, I've talked to several publishers on the show in the past they, and they talk about this. They, they say, start small, start with a small game. If you're going to go to Kickstarter, whatever you're going to do, sell it for $20, sell it for $15 build up a reputation, right. deliver it, right? Over deliver, you know, have a great relationship with your backers and then build up and do a, maybe a little more complicated game. Don't start off with a hundred dollar game. I mean, if you're a company that wants to do that, I'm not saying don't necessarily, but at least think it through, <laughs> think about it. You might want to start small, build up a reputation, build up some, some testimonials, build up some people that trust you. And then you can come back later and it's a lot easier to sell them something more expensive, something more complicated. And I think you guys starting off, doing it this way, maybe completely unintentionally, was a really, really smart way to begin. All right, so now what? Tell me how many, well, first of all, do you remember how many copies of Tenzi you, you, you sold at that toy fair? What do you think, Steve? Well, it's not, you know, in it's not necessarily how many copies of Tenzi you're selling there, because it's a, it's a retailer thing. But the important thing is what you sign up, right? So we basically went there with one rep group, on the east coast north or northeast and kevin did a great job of and, and we left there with rep groups throughout the entire country nine rep groups that covered the entire country we we went we entered there with 75 or so uh, retailers mostly in the northeast some stretching to the midwest and we probably and that was when we kind of went quote-unquote national and people from California to Maine to Washington, Orland, uh, Oregon to Florida, everywhere discovered us. So it it almost didn't matter the number of games as much as we kind of went really far and fast in four days in New York. Yeah, and I'm guessing that we may, because at the end of the day we would count count our orders. I don't know, maybe it was roughly 130, 40, 150 orders over the over the three or four days. Gotcha. Okay. And so at this point, you're still making the games at your house, right? You're ordering the dice, you're ordering the tubes, you're doing it yourself. At this point, are you thinking, okay, we need to find someone who can do this on a much bigger scale? Absolutely, Steve. <laughs> yeah. And so then it was uh, the folks who was we were getting the bulk dice from, they also are full, full scale manufacturing partners. Uh, they're based here in uh, in, in the Boston, Indian Massachusetts, yep. yeah, in Massachusetts area, um, but have factories overseas in China. Um, and so we partnered with them to get Tenzi made in tubes really professionally, all kind of soup to nuts. And they have uh, the name uh, Grand Prix uh, International up in Indian Orchard, Massachusetts. And they have been a spectacular uh, partner with us. Um, could we get the game cheaper if we went direct to a china factory yes would we want to do that and and <laughs> not knowing the relationships and having phone calls in the middle you know no Never. we wouldn't Never. so um one of the things kevin and i are, are good at is knowing what we're not good at and uh yeah so yeah. so grand prix has been uh hugely hugely instrumental in in helping us every step of the way and steve once you mention this story about the the dice colors where we shifted from <laughs> yellow and green and red. Yeah, again, 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 not knowing anything about anything. So, so for the first 
you know, and we, they, they, they helped us and they brought, you know, they did a great packaging, you know, and it was the, our tube that we did. And for the first six months, great, you know, colors, yellows and reds and blues with the white dots and black dots and stuff. And then uh, we were talking with them and they said, oh, well, we could do, you know, this, I mentioned a color and they said, well, yeah, we could do that color. Oh, you can do more colors. And they said, oh yeah. And then we can, and then mention he mentioned the, the dots, which are called pips. And he said, well, we can change the pip color too. I said, you can change that too. And so then it went from just this kind of a basic colorful game to it went out of control. Any color was, you want. Any color any you color. want, the dice, any color, the pip. So we had then the the pink pips with, or the pink dice with the the, the, <laughs> the black dots and this. It was, it just, it, it was, it was fun and kind of, uh, it kind of went from uh, 60 to 75 miles an hour on that one. Yeah. All right. That's awesome. So let's get into maybe some of the, the issues, some of the obstacles you run into. Because anytime you're going to scale something up, you're also going to scale up your challenges. You're going to scale up your problems. It, it's not, uh, it's, I don't know, it's, no matter what you do, anytime you try to scale, you run into these things. And so tell me some of the roadblocks, some of the challenges you ran into as you went from just a handful of stores up to 60, and now you're going nationwide. Now what? So uh, at Toy Fair, so we had all these games coming from China, and so we, and we all had this ship date, future ship date from you know the orders from Toy Fair, and it was we sent them out in April, let's say, or and so we knew okay we we're all there and around Kevin's house as the as we knew they shipped out, and then the, the phones started ringing, and we said, oh, that's our retailers calling us when, when they receive their orders, and uh, those were our first batch of games from Grand Prix. Yeah. And let me tell you, boy, did the phone ring and ring and ring. And what we heard was, well, two things. One was, you know, we like your game. We saw you guys at Toy Fair, but but the bottoms are falling out. And I've got dice all over my store. And, and we're so apologetic. And we're figuring out, all right, we'll take it back. And they go, no, 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 no. We want to sell these. But we're just letting you know that there's a little bit of a problem there. So we had bottoms falling out of these tubes of dice with retailers having dice all over their store. And then we had a number of retailers call us and say, so what, what's the price? I know I bought it, but what, what's the retail? What's the wholesale? You guys don't have a packing slip in here. Hey, Steve, what's a packing slip? So between bottoms falling out and not knowing about packing slips and the importance of that, I, I remember talking to one of our reps in a bit. I was in a bit of a panic, and I, I said to, to this guy, I, "I this is not good, really not good." But he said he talked me off the ledge. He said, "Relax, people love your game. You're selling a ton of them. It's all going to work out. Just be cool." So having that rep partner was very helpful at that point. So those are that's only two of the ways we stubbed our toes along the way. Gotcha. And so tell me. Tell me what else. I, I remember in the interview y'all did a while back, you were talking about like some of the, sometimes the dice would smell funny. Like any any other little things that maybe people just want to be aware of that you know to know going in that these are some issues you might run into. Yeah, go ahead, Steve. Funny, but not in a good way, right? <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. It wasn't yeah scratch and sniff. Um, no, no matter what you you try to do to make you know make things right and everything, things are always there's always going to be problems popping up um and so one time you know we had a, a customer say hey the, the dice dice smell a little funny they smell a little kind of uh, a little gasoline we're like oh that that doesn't sound good at all and so we contacted the customer and we talked with them and so you know we tracked it back to okay there was the there was just a pro bad production run um, that they were, they had skipped a step of the washing or rinsing or drying or whatever it was. And so you just have to kind of eat that production and then establish a new kind of step for, okay, let's make sure this never happens again. Um, and actually that was an interesting thing. I remember going back and forth cause the Amazon, it was a, a review on Amazon mm -hmm. that was right. just brutal. The guy said right. these, Oh, it smells like gasoline. It was, and that's, it was like oh and so and that was back in the in the days when you could now you can't anymore but you you could reply to the amazon comment and say and so i uh contacted him and said hey let me help you out we'll do this try to wash them first and he said i tried to wash them it didn't help i said all right well uh throw them away we're going to send you a new set of dice and then that became one of the best reviews he said obviously they care about customer service they they handled my issue they sent me new dice it went from one zero stars to five stars highly recommend so as Kevin said earlier, even when you mess up, 
and mess ups are going to happen. So it's okay if they happen, but then you just move heaven and earth to turn that mess up or that negative into a positive. Right. Yeah, for sure. Because uh, you're talking about being able to take a customer that's never going to buy from you ever again and turn them into a raving fan that's going to buy everything that you ever make from here on out. And it's amazing how much that that can just exponentially grow your customer base and just treating people right, just treating people the way you want to be treated. It's really not that complicated, but yet a lot of times we make it we make it hard for some reason in business. And uh, this is a really good uh, example of how to do it correctly. All right, so 2010, now it's 2022. Give me just the real like Cliff Notes version of how you continue to scale things up. Because I'm assuming you were able to get into more stores, more retailers, more distributors, things like that. So Kevin, tell me what like the next stage was as far as figuring out, okay, where do we go from here? How do we scale up? Sure. The orders just kept coming in. The word word of mouth was spreading. The reps were knocking on more doors and things just kept building and building and building. So, you know, it went from 200 stores to 500 stores to a thousand stores and then 2000 stores. And I think we probably have four or 5,000 stores, give or take, you know, stores close, stores buy a different line. So we're probably in the maybe 4,000 range now. And it was just a slow, constant build. And, you know, you, you hope that you turn the corner from, okay, there's this hot kind of new game to an evergreen game. And uh, probably year three or year four, we started hearing, hey, you guys got an evergreen here. You got an evergreen, which simply means all indications are this is going to be coming back and coming back and coming back. Um, and it's funny, as much as it's been a, a, a real good success for us, I believe that if you walk down the street and said to 100 people, what does the word Tenzi mean? I'm going to say that 75% of them will say, I have no idea. And then maybe 15% will say, well, I, I don't know. It's a a product, a game or something like that. So the good news is, as successful as it's been, we just see that there's lots more potential. Now, with that said, we've had big box stores knock on our door a lot uh, to say, hey, we'd like to carry it. We'd like to carry it. And it gets tempting at times because they could take your business and probably quadruple it overnight. But uh, fortunately, we've been so successful with our, our specialty toy retail partners uh, that we've held off on that. And, and that, I think, keeps it going because there's it's it continues to be a slow build rather than, okay, we're now in, in mass and everybody knows about it and it's old news. So I think by having that specific distribution channel has helped us. Tell me what maybe the downsides might be. Like I'm sure some people are listening to this and can't believe that you would say no to Target or no to Walmart or, or no to you know some big box store. So tell me, tell me why. Tell me the cons. Uh, go ahead, Steve. Well, I, I, taking a step back, even with that, about the idea of saying no. Um, mm -hmm. For the first three years, three, maybe even four years, when we, our reps and our retailers, every time we went to trade shows, it was, what do you have new? What's your new game? What's your new game? And as Kevin was saying, there's, especially back then, so few people, I think, thought knew about Tenzi that there, I, we thought there was always such more, you know, um, more that could grow and so it was okay for us not to be reaching for the next game the next game and just treat tenzi as a disposable thing uh but really drill down and kind of keep keep mining it and keep uh making sure kind of more and more people knew about that and the same and so we kept on saying nope no good game same same tenzi and we came up with different packet you know different options bigger party packs uh 77 ways to play tenzi but it was all about tenzi um for about three four years um, and then as when Target comes by or other mass markets, it's kind of important to know what you have. And the, the network we had with our specialty retailers just made it so easy, such a great platform to when it, we did come to a new game to launch the new game because they were all really looking forward to us. They knew us as Kevin and Steve, the Tenzi guys, and it's a simple game. It's going to be a fast game. And it wasn't just you're a number. And if you don't hit those numbers, you're off the shelf in six weeks. Gotcha. Now, do you guys know around how many copies of Tinsy you've sold at this point? Uh, let me look it up here, Gabe. <laughs> uh, we've sold probably, if you look at our regular Tinsy tube and our party packs and our other 
versions of it. We've probably sold close to 3 million tensies as of this point, so 10 years into it. Wow, that is absolutely phenomenal. Okay, that's that's just, I mean, it's mind-boggling, right? I, and I'm sure you had this planned all along, you know, back in 2010. You're like, we're going to sell about 3 million of these. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so at some point along the way, you did decide, hey, let's make some more games. And what I love about your other games is they kind of follow a similar model. Like you're saying, you know, if, if you've played Tenzi and then you see another game from your company, you have a pretty good idea. It's going to be quick. It's going to be simple. You're going to learn the rules very, very quickly. You're going to be able to play it over and over again. Um, but I also love that you have similar names. So Buildzy is, is one of them. I think Slapsy is another one. Like right. you, you kind of follow the same pattern for naming as well. But tell me about just the process, what you guys were thinking when it came time to create a new one did you have like an idea like oh i've got an idea for another game or did somebody else come along and pitch you on something tell me about that yeah yeah it happens in all different ways uh with slapsy for example my son colin was seeing the success of tenzi and i said hey if you can come up with an idea that steve and i like and, and if it fits for us you know we may be interested in in producing it so uh, when he was coming up with games and again he was living with tenzi and he saw it day in and day out but the at first, the games he would pitch were word games, and they, they, they took about a minute or two to explain, and then there was a twist to it. And I kept saying to him, Colin, keep it simpler. Keep it simpler. And I give him examples of other games that were out there. This is really simple. This is too, not simple enough. So eventually it clicked, and, uh, and he pitched us the idea of Slapsy, which is a really simple picture card game. And I liked it, and then we took it over to Steve and Steve liked it. And then we tweaked it and turned it a little bit. And, uh, and, and we, and you know, it's, it's funny. What, what's very clear to Steve and I is this really simple, fast gameplay. So in our mind, we are back at toy fair in our minds and a, and a retailer walks up, they need to be able to understand. And I won't even say 30 seconds. I'm going to say 15 seconds. They should be able to understand the rules instantly start playing right after that and be laughing right after that. So it's so clear in our mind that when somebody pitches us an idea, whether it's my son or anybody else, um, it has to fit that model that within seconds, people understand the gameplay within seconds after that, they can play it. And seconds after that, they're laughing, having a good time and want to play again. And, and we just continued with the ZI. So Tenzi is T E N Z I and the ZI on Slapsy and Buildzy and Itzy has been our little signature for simple, fast, fun games. So now we have a nice branding working in terms of, oh, yeah, you're the ZI guys. And that is symbolic of simple, fast gameplay. Oh, and it's so smart. I've got a friend who's an author and he's done pretty well on, on Kindle and ebooks and things like that. And he writes like thrillers, like these you know, really intense novels. And then he had sold quite a few copies, thousands and thousands of copies. Had built up a pretty good audience, a, a good you know, niche target audience of people that would buy every single thriller that he wrote. And then he decided he wanted to write a fantasy novel. He had this you know, idea and he's like, I want to write a fantasy novel. And nobody bought it. Mm -hmm. And it was like, this is, you know, it's just kind of unfortunate because not that the book wasn't good or just as good as anything else he had written, but that wasn't what his audience that he'd built up wanted. And so it's so smart to design and create and publish products that your audience already likes, like things that they're already interested in. Not that you can't branch off and do something totally different. You definitely can, but it's going to be a lot, a lot harder, a lot more challenging. And so right. I think what you guys are doing there, it just makes so much sense. And so at this point, what, what's next? Like, what does the future hold? Do you keep coming up with more of these ZI games and just kind of see where it goes or, or what are, what are your, your thoughts for the future? You know, we, I don't, I don't think Steve and I, Steve, what'd you do with the business plan? Huh? I don't think we've ever had one. I think it's very organic. What feels right, we'll know it when we see it. If this, I mean, I'm speaking for myself here, if this business didn't keep growing and growing and growing, I'd still be very happy with it. Uh, Steve and I are having a good time running it. We run a very, very small shop. It's essentially Steve and I, and we've got maybe a half a dozen support people that are not full-time that Somebody helps with bookkeeping and somebody helps with chasing down money. Uh, so we have various people helping us out and we're enjoying every single day. I think what's going to happen is, yeah, more ideas will pop up either from Steve and I or other folks. And if they fit the model, we'll give it a shot and we'll pitch them at the trade shows and continue to build. But there's no plan to say, okay, in the next three years, we're going to double our business. It's just not how we decided to, to do it. 
Gotcha. Now, Steve, looking back, any advice, anything that you can kind of look at and go, okay, I wish we would have done this a little bit differently. Maybe some things that listeners can pick up on and maybe not make the same mistakes. Um, I wouldn't say kind of what we wish we didn't do. Um, I'd kind of go the opposite way from when we hear from inventors, um, mostly, or if we're talking, if I'm talking to someone at a, at a party or something, we hear all the time, oh, I have this idea for a game, a book, a widget, whatever it is. And then they don't, they don't do anything with it. And they don't do anything with it for a number of, different, number of different reasons. One, I don't know what to do with it. Two, I'm scared someone's going to steal my idea. Three, I just don't have the time, whatever it is. And that's why most ideas of any kind don't take off. And so the best advice I could give and I give other people is just do something with it. Make a prototype, give it to a friend, get some kind of feedback. Or actually, don't give it to a friend. Give it to a complete stranger and, and see and see if they like it or not. Um, you just got to get some kind of movement and then that movement will get something else. Um, it, again, that decision that Kevin and I made to, hey, it's, it's got so few moving parts. Let's see what we can do with it. Again, we had no idea no idea what that next step was but the most important thing i think was that we took the next step to make some prototypes to knock on a door and then and then it kind of it it took on a life of its own and it led us rather than us leading it knowing what we were doing because we certainly didn't right and i completely agree in that a lot of times you have to take the next step before you're ready you just basically have to be ready enough and just kind of put yourself out there and you're going to make some mistakes, whatever, but at least you're going to fail forward. You're going to progress. You're going to keep going. And I think that's just such excellent advice there, Steve. All right, Kevin, what do you got? I was going to add, you know, if you can find the right partner to work with, work with a partner. You know, Steve and I used to work together in advertising, as he mentioned, and we got along then. And when we connected, just cutting down our Christmas trees with our, our family, we said, hey, we, you know, we got along, so why shouldn't we get along again? And by having a partner, you have a sounding board. You have somebody say, that really is a bad idea. And you do it over a beer or a laugh. Um, when you're knocking on doors, in our case, you know, we, we didn't do Kickstarter. We went to retail. So it's really great to have a partner to walk in that store with because it gives you more confidence. At, at the trade show, being in a booth by yourself can be brutal. By having a partner to back you up and to, you know, help with the pitch. Uh, so I encourage people, if you can find somebody that you can work with effectively, it's going to be a great asset. Yeah. What is the old saying? If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Oh, that's yeah. nice. That's nice. Yeah, that's it, man. And then you guys are, are definitely an example of that going far. I mean, here we are 12 years later, 3 million plus copies sold of your game. I mean, it's just, it's just awesome. Such an excellent story. So I wanted to have you guys on the show. I wanted people to hear about this and uh, just know the behind the scenes. Well, this has been excellent, guys. Uh, where can people find you? Where can they find Tinsy and your other games? Uh, well, they can find us in lots of mom and pop, especially retail stores around the country. We're in Barnes & Noble. We're in Learning Express stores. We're on Amazon. Uh, in fact, a funny thing happened just the other day. Uh, it was I didn't even mention this to you, uh, Gabe. Uh, we, uh, all of a sudden, we woke up the other day and we saw that sales were exploding. And because there's a country <laughs> singer. I'm not... I'm not I don't know country all that well, but somebody said a country singer by the name of Walker Hayes, who I think he was the singer at the uh, Chiefs halftime game this past weekend. He uh, he was playing with his family, playing Buildsy. He was playing our Buildsy game with his family and was nice enough to post a video unbeknownst to us. And all of a sudden things exploded from that. So you never know where it's going to come from, and, uh, and 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 the marvels of social media are working for us. So pretty much they can find them in mom-and-pop stores and jump on Amazon, so we're pretty easy to find these days. Awesome. Well, gentlemen, really appreciate your time. I really appreciate you joining me here on the show. Good luck with just continuing to get out there and, and put the games out there and bring more of these ZI games to life and good luck with everything else you got going on right now. Thanks, Gabe. Hey, uh, I was going to leave you with one quick uh, story. This kind of yeah. wraps up uh, about, again, 
how much or how little we know. So with the at these uh, trade shows, you, year after year after year, you see the same person. You see the same people. It's kind of like a traveling circus. And so the second, third year we went, we saw a gentleman who was kind of across the away from us a little bit. So he sold chess sets and stuff like that. And he came up as we were setting up that third year. And he said, hey, guys, remember me? I'm, you know, we shook hands. Hey, how you doing? Good year. Great year. And he said, I just want to tell you something. He said, I, when I, I talk about you all the time, and when I talk about you, I introduce you guys as these are the effing guys who put 40 dice in a tube. <laughs> so so it's sometimes uh it's sometimes the simplest things uh can stick and uh we're very very happy that uh 40 dice in a tube has stuck yeah that's awesome again gentlemen really appreciate your time appreciate you being here thanks gabe thanks so much gabe enjoyed it thanks for listening hosting for the board game design lab podcast is sponsored by quartermaster logistics the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?